online broadcast. I'm Carice Hendrick. And I'm Brett Johnson. And we're both anti-fraud experts. But with very different sets of experiences. I've been in the anti-fraud space for over a decade, working with hundreds of the biggest online companies in the world to help them prevent payment fraud. And prior to several years ago, I was a fraudster. I committed several different types of fraud online until I ended up on the Secret Service's most wanted list, spent time in prison, and since that point, I've dedicated my career to helping businesses and consumers protect themselves against people like I used to be. And we are both back on the same podcast. (laughs) Yeah, so pneumonia is no joke. That's my takeaway of the last couple weeks. I've learned a few life lessons, especially that if you have a cold, you probably shouldn't be working 70 to 80 hours a week because it doesn't go away if you ignore it. It comes back even worse. (laughs) (laughs) So my voice is still a little up and down and I apologize for that, but it is way better than it was beyond. And seriously, I just wanted to thank you, Brett, for filling in while I was gone. And you are just so kind by text message and everything of encouraging me to rest while you know that that is not my <laughs> default. <laughs> um, I'm going to tell you, it is no easy task to try to step in and fill your shoes on this podcast. It is <laughs> difficult. Well, so, thank you, but you did a great job. <laughs> and just just all the all the listeners out there, uh, let me tell you that that she was... I actually at one point thought she had died and she was speaking to me from beyond the grave. Her voice was that bad. It was like, so she's back. I did everyone a favor by staying off the podcast for two weeks. (laughs) My husband is all excited because he's like, yes, that means you're not going to talk. Oh no. I just (laughs) squeaked. (laughs) <laughs> I did, though, however, talk less, which I think he uh, he appreciated. Right. We both married introverts. I don't know how that worked, but it balances out somehow. It does. <laughs> In the course of being sick, I also had to miss two merchant meetups that I was so excited to go to in California. One in San Francisco that I organized actually with CNP and Payments Ed Forum. It was at Yelp and I hear it was super successful. There were over 40 merchants from the Bay Area, some big, some small that all were there talking about fraud. And I'm very grateful that I was able to organize it. Really, really wish I was there to be a part of it. I love those things. It's just magic to me. I also missed one in LA hosted by SIFT. SIFT Technologies now, they changed their name from SIFT Science. Apparently they're branching out into other subjects besides just science. Well, I was Um, going to ask, what other technologies are they doing? You know, that'll be a good question for when we interview Kevin, Kevin Lee from SIFT, but um, I didn't read the full press release because it came out when I was sick. But I know, uh, you know, SIFT had invited me to this event and I was really excited to be a part of it. They also got together about 40 to 50 merchants from the LA area. Um, Fraud Fighters Forum is what they called it. And um, I've attended them in Seattle and really love what they're doing with those. So I was really excited to go and missed meeting everybody there too. So I missed meeting or seeing reconnecting with like over 80 merchants in the last two weeks. So Honestly, that was like worse to me than anything. I hate not following through with my commitments. And I was 
yeah, poor Kevin Lee. I was like texting him during the event. Tell people this. I'm so sorry. I'm missing out. Like, because <laughs> I just felt like I was missing an arm. Everybody was just so nice and, you know, supportive. CMP and SIF both were really understanding. And I just wanted to thank them for that. Pneumonia is a valid excuse, but I still felt really bad for giving it. <laughs> Right, right. So anyway, yeah, I'm going to try to put it myself on mute when I need to cough. I apologize. But Brett, <laughs> what have we were able to talk a little bit before the podcast, but why don't you tell all of us what have you been up to the last few oh, weeks? Oh, I've not been world? doing anything. Probably more exciting than laying on <laughs> well, the couch to, and watching uh, a fire festival uh, documentary. <laughs> I keynoted the RSPA conference down at Sanibel Island in Florida. What does RSPA stand for? Oh, now, see, you would ask me that. <laughs> I would. Hold on while I Google it. At least I'm not like, well, I guess I am like you. I read one of these you know, press releases. And when I read a press release, basically what I do is, is I read the headline and then I'll look at the, 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 the text body and say, okay, don't need to read that and go on. <laughs> so... <laughs> Well, right. I think it was more for me, it was more of those, oh, I'll look at this later. And then later never came. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah be a lot too. <laughs> so RSPA is the Retail Solutions Providers Association is what that is. That's and uh, a lot of, uh, a lot, a lot of uh, just great people there. Um, of course, I gave the presentation on how cybercrime operates, the type of crimes that are committed, blah, 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 and how to protect yourself about them, uh, from them. And uh, it went over great, man. And, and I'm going to tell you, the gentleman who runs that jack over there, just an, uh, an absolutely outstanding guy. It was a pleasure to work with everyone there. So I was there for two days. And, of course, it's 80 degrees down there. Everyone's on the water. <laughs> so, Shut so your I'm, face. I'm just saying, I've been snowed in for four days in Seattle. <laughs> yeah, not, not a sign of snow at all. <laughs> so, <laughs> so then I went from, from 80 degrees. The next day I went to uh, to Eastern Kentucky to, to reconnect with some of my uh, former classmates and teachers and things like that. Because it turns out when you, when you become a legal person, you know, I hadn't had friends or anything in like 30 years. So uh, now that I'm, I'm, I'm rebuilding my life and doing things, you know, making good decisions, I've got these people that I've not spoken to in decades that are wanting to reconnect and that's you know, great. Very proud of me. It's, it's very humbling. It's very humbling is what it is. So I'm very happy. Yeah. About that. Well, given not only, you know, your, your upbringing and how far you've come, but you, and this is not to open a rabbit hole because, you know, I know that there are some future works, future things in the works that will come out where people can learn about this a lot more. But I know that you've had grew up down the street from a murderer that has been featured in a book and you, you know, there are several people in your life from your childhood you totally that <laughs> had worse you know, they're, they're also in jail now or they're, you know, right. no longer living. And so I'm sure that the people who you reconnected with that are not in that, aren't in that category are very proud to see somebody, you know, make mistakes, but come back from them. Yeah. It's, uh, it, you know, like I said, it's, it's very humbling. And one of the things that, you know, I stayed two days up there. And one of the things that I find is that, you know, hearing the stories of all the people that I used to know, and, you know, it's in Eastern Kentucky. It's actually in the, in the Oxycontin capital of the world. And, you know, hearing all these people who, who got involved with drugs, who overdosed, like I had a friend that I had two friends I grew up with. And one of them, Brian, overdosed and died in, on, on a Thanksgiving. The next Christmas, his brother overdosed and died on Christmas. You know, you hear stories like that. And 
it's pretty bad. But at the same time, I heard, you know, stories of, of people who actually were able to make something out of their lives and they didn't get uh, involved with addiction or crime or anything else like that. So it was, it was pretty good overall. Right. And I, yeah, I mean, I know that there's been, that's, that was kind of my point, right? Is that there's been some hard stuff. And so sure. it's, I'm really glad for that. I know you got to reconnect with the teacher too, as well. And oh, yeah. that's really important. And I say it all the time and I'm not going to go too far down this rabbit hole as well, but you know, <laughs> you and I both have been, we're featured in something that, that depicted us both in a way that we don't think aligns with what we think is the truth. Yeah. And that's super cryptic, but <laughs> you know, we, we were both interviewed for something through media, like um, more mainstream media rather than industry media. And they chose to take what I think is the easy route and assume that you are still up to your old ways as possibly naive. And I just want to say for the record that, um, <laughs> Anyone that knows me personally probably wouldn't associate the term naive <laughs> with me. Right, I gave right, you a right. hell of a hard time for months. We, you know, have really gotten to know each other well. I feel like I know you on a level that most people don't, and I'm very grateful for that. And I see everything you've done as genuine progress and genuine remorse and genuine, you know, starting over and not wanting to make the same mistakes twice. And I take you at face value for who you are. And I think that you have really, really helped this industry in a lot of ways, not just through this podcast, but also through, you know, speeches that you've done, other things that you're working on. And I think that that value far exceeds anything that you could ever get from us if, God forbid, this was some kind of weird, twisted con. Um, yeah, yeah, imagine that. <laughs> I'm like, uh, you know, it's the longest, most boring con on the planet. What's the payoff? But yeah, I mean, I think people know you know know the truth. Well, you and, know, it's, it's, uh, and I don't mind telling telling what we interviewed for or anything. They interviewed you and me and uh, my wife, my sister, uh, several associates that I had. It was it was my Slate friend, magazine. that's former Secret Service. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and they they interviewed all these people, and and you know the uh, the weirdness kind of started. There was a question there, and that question made it in. Well, the question itself didn't make it in, but but a uh, kind of a nod to that question made it in at, the, at in the published uh, podcast. They they asked as the interview ended, they were like, "Do you think that your color, your racial color, had something to do with you not getting a lot of time?" So it, it started out, you know, I was telling mm. my story and then it, it transitions over to this. Can we put a racial slant to it? And then it transitions over. To, right. right, right. That's exactly right. So then it translates over from, from there. It goes over to, you know, they want to interview my sister. And I'm, I'm guessing that, and, and it kind of, kind of bleeds through in the podcast as well, that they were somewhat surprised that everything that I told them matched up, that they were able to verify this stuff. And they mentioned that in the podcast. So I think that uh, I think that what we what was going on there is you know they were bounced from one thing to another, so it started out well. Can we do a racial uh, story? No. Well, can we do? Can we prove him to be a liar? Well, no, he's not lying. And then finally, well, let's let's just attack his story and t and tell everybody that that him speaking and that's exactly what they said at the end of the podcast was they said is there a difference between him speaking and him ripping people off? And I would say you know what there certainly is. There certainly is. People so, are getting uh, so much value after off of you speaking. And I think the other thing that really bothered you, I mean, there were a lot of things, but um, <laughs> they had asked you, you know, they had posed the question if you were benefiting from your crimes based on being paid for speeches. And, right. you know, the other thing that bothered me was just, you know, the way they painted me and, and your wife. But I think that they were trying to 
be very journalistic and trying really hard to be like, you know, we're trying to verify our sources and blah, 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 and this is how it works and taking it very seriously as, you know, journalists should. But I think that there's a human a level of humanity there that was missing. And, you know, they interviewed me for over an hour and they played maybe a minute of what I said. Right. And, it, right. you know, what I was saying was, look, I, I acknowledge every, you know, everything he's done and I'm not a spring chicken, as they say, like I get it, but there's a lot of value here. And I think that he is, you know, this is his way of making amends and you have done a lot of things for free for law enforcement. I, I think that that speaks to the fact that you're not just in it for the money. I really stood up for you quite a bit in that I interview. Know, and I, I, I was disappointed that 59 but, minutes of it didn't. You see, you, you, here's the thing. <laughs> I can't see you've got the viewpoint they were trying to go at it from a from a position of journalistic integrity. But right. what they did was is they painted you, they painted my wife who I've known for 6 years as naive. Not mm. only that, but they go and get someone who wrote a book about one con artist to sit there and say that no con artist ever changes their ways. They also made the statement that there's never been a con artist or one of these criminals like this who has who has rehabilitated. When they did that, they they completely chose to dismiss people like Frank Abagnale, Cal Leeming, Kevin Mitnick, uh, Kevin Paulson, all these other people. So it, it right. seems to me that they were really just trying to fashion Tony Sales, Tony right. Sales uh, all these other people, Daniel Miller, all these guys who have turned That's it around. Yeah, no, that's a good point. And that's true. As soon as they interviewed that person who, to me, sounded like she had been personally conned by someone and sure. had a vendetta. She has written a book. She does work for the New York Times. I don't want to take that away, but she doesn't know you personally. Her to say that no con artist has ever come full circle. I also want to say, I don't think that you 100% fit the bill as a con artist. Well, that's um, true. I, that was bothering me as well as I listened to it. It was just like... I. I wouldn't consider it just, you know, conning. There was an element of that for sure. You are the first person to say that you made a lot of mistakes and you did a lot of bad things and you hurt people. And I think that that's the key to me is acknowledging it because otherwise are we just painting the picture that anyone who makes a mistake is never going to reform. And if that's right. the case, why do we let people out of prison? No, you're, um, you're absolutely right. And, you know, here's the thing. I don't, uh, you know, I'm bitching a little bit right now. And the truth of the matter is, is I don't care. I don't care if someone writes a story or paints me as, as negative as the media. I understand that. I have done enough damage in my life that I certainly deserve that. But at least at least come through, if you're, if you're going to come to that conclusion, come to it you know, with, with some degree of honesty to it. Don't just come already with a preconceived notion and then, and then fashion the story to fit that notion. Is what I'm right. saying. Yeah. And it definitely actually gave me some perspective because I love, you know, podcasts like Serial and other things like that. Sure. that and they really try to paint themselves as he, we're giving you all of the facts and we're letting you make a decision on what the outcome is. Right. What I learned through this process, knowing <laughs> that I was interviewed for an hour, knowing that Michelle was interviewed for an hour, that Denise was interviewed for a long time, all of these things, they probably focused 85% of the interview on all of your bad things Absolutely. and 15% on skepticism. Well, I would say 10% on skepticism and 5% of Michelle and Denise and I all saying, Hey, Hey, we know him the most. I mean, granted, Michelle and Denise know you way better than I do, but you know, we we know him very well now. We know who he is now. And and I would venture to guess that all three of us said very similar things about that um, and answered questions very similar. And they chose to bury that audio. I know they had to put it into an hour. I know they worked really hard on it. 
But that to me is not posing all of the facts. They are still picking and choosing what facts they're providing. And that was eye-opening to me as I listen to other podcasts and watch other shows. I think that they did a lot of, you know, interesting work tracking down your very first victim was fascinating. Um, well, you know, you know how they tracked down my very first victim. I told you them, told and the I name. sent the link to who he was. Oh, okay. I actually found the victim for him, <laughs> and uh, they the, the initial thing was is that they wanted to uh, they asked if I would mind uh, meeting with him on the podcast, and I was like, absolutely. I said I, I had planned on asking him onto my podcast, but at the end mm-hmm. of the day, I think that I don't want to be the guy who is uh, painted benefiting as from that, right? Benefit from from having one of my victims on my podcast. So I said, you guys go ahead and do that. So they went and found the guy. They then tell me, oh, he didn't want to talk to us at all. The next thing that I knew, he, of course, he's interviewing on the podcast. So there was no need to, to lie about it. I knew I had ripped the guy off. Wow. You know, I'm, it's not like I've been trying to hide her. I'm sorry about it. I, I'm not, and I'm not sorry about it, but I am. I, you know, I regret doing that. Right. Uh, it's, it's just that, you know, there's no need to go about that. You know, like my sister, she told me after the, after the podcast, after her interview with them, she was like, uh, you know, Brent, I really didn't know if you were ever going to be able to, to you know, change or not. And uh, she was upset about that. And of course that made me upset. Right. And then I've been asked, um, you know, when I'm asked at, at media all the time, you know, have you stopped? Are you ever going to do it again? Okay. Here's the way this thing works. Media expects you to say, no, I'm never going to do it again. Now mm. the truth is much more complicated than that. The truth is, right. is that this kind of stuff is like an addiction. All right. So the longer I go without breaking the law and the, and the support network that I have in, is just means the longer the the better chances are that I'll never break the law again. So I know what my triggers are. I know what it takes for me to go back and break the law. You know, if if, if family's in trouble, if I go back into that same type of mindset where I feel I have to buy love all the time, that type of stuff. But I'm not in that. I've got I've got a great support network. I've got you. I've got my wife. I've got all these people around me and everything. Um, you know, I'm I'm doing well. I've got a, a, a positive career now that that satisfies. Every single thing that I want to satisfy, the the chances of me being like that alcoholic and going back to breaking the law, every single day that becomes less and less and less. I personally don't think that I ever will, but you know, I can't, it's like the alcoholic, you can't say that you're never going to do that again. What I can say is I'm recovering from it and I'm going to continue to recover from it. Well, and to me, that shows that you're way more reformed than just if you said no. Right. Like that level of honesty and genuine and saying, you know, it's it's very similar to being an alcoholic. I know that I could go back there again, but I'm working every day not to every day. And I know you are. And I mean, we talk about it often. You were super honest with me this summer that you were working on a project for someone. I think we talked about it the last time we were on the pod together. Um, And you were honest, like, okay, this is starting to trigger something in me that I don't like. I need to stop this project and not do it again. Um, Not do this kind of project again. That showed so much just awareness and willingness to want to not want to go back to that, I thought that that was extremely genuine. And so I think, you know, yeah, to your point, I, I think I probably cut you off a little bit when you were saying who no, it was. I guess we can say who the <laughs> podcast is because now yeah. everyone's probably wondering. I've heard our side. It's called Decoder Ring and it's by Slate Magazine. 
if anyone wants to listen to it, just know that there's a lot that was left out. And you'll learn a lot more about Brett's history. I learned a couple things about stuff that you had done that I didn't know. And and for a minute, it did make me think like, gosh, if I knew that all of that then, like when I first started talking to you about speaking at CMP, would I have gone forward? But I had no doubt that you had done bad things. I, I mean, I was aware of who you were. I had read about you in Wired when you were in that, Kevin's book and everything else. Like I just, I think that it's insightful. It was well done. If I didn't know you, I would have thought like, wow, that was really well done. But I probably would have ended with the thought of like, yeah, but he's probably going to do it again based on what was proposed. I just hope our listeners know you better than that because I do. <laughs> and <laughs> just to wrap this part up, I knew we'd be going down a rabbit hole, but I told Brett like, you know, we chose not to public publicize the podcast on our LinkedIn's or anything like that, but we did decide I wanted to talk about it. I wanted to be able to stand up for him and share our side. It was honestly really bothering me. I didn't have a voice and I really wanted to <laughs> to scream when it came out. But just to wrap it up, I think I will quote one of my favorite philosophers, Dr. Seuss, the people who mind don't matter and the people who matter don't mind. And ah, well, that's um, true. <laughs> I live by that. And I think it's true that people that know you know, know you know the value that you have right. bring to this industry and, and see that and the people know, who I, don't, I, I don't matter. That. Yeah. You know, you, you said I, mean, I was, I was raised that's one of the things that we we talked about over the weekends. Everyone that I met with, I was raised to be this expert criminal with the mm. environment that I was in and everything else. Yeah. Oh very, yeah. <laughs> I was in a very abusive, a very abusive environment growing up. Uh, my mom was a uh, just a horribly, horribly abusive person. You know, I mentioned. I'm, I think it, I don't know if the podcast covered everything, but you know, at at, at ten years old, I do. I start doing these. Uh, these weird things because, and I didn't know, I didn't know when, when I did it, that, uh, that it's indicative of children who are abused. Um, you know, I was, I guess I was nine or 10 and I, I get to, uh, I start, I start urinating, you know, wherever I get the mom and dad gone and, you know, take a whiz and, uh, never talked about that, man. Never, never talked about that until this past, uh, probably five or six months. And uh, when I started talking about, you know, I mentioned it to you in San Francisco. Yeah. And uh, then I take a notion at that point, point to Google it, come to find out that children who are abused, it's not uncommon. It's it's one of these control things. It's the only where it's the only place a child can get control. I started doing that, and then when I'm 15, when I'm 15, and I mentioned this in this podcast, I know that because because I hammered that. But when I was 15, I walked into an elevator and there was a woman there who looked like my mom. I wrote a blog article on this as well. I, I popped, man. I, I, I ended up beating this woman up in this elevator. And, you know, I tried to, uh, there's not been a day I've not thought about that, but never really talked about it to anyone for, you know, I'm 49. That happened when I was 15. I hadn't talked to anyone about that in 34, 35 years. Yeah. And now that I'm, now that I'm talking to people about that, it's one of these things where you're, it, it's it's almost putting these puzzle pieces together. You know, I look back now because I've got I've got a stepson that's fourteen that's about to turn fifteen. I, I see what his maturity level is, hmm. and uh, you know, I realize now what my maturity level was at that point. I realize now that and I'm 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 the guy responsible for doing that. I did that. I really there think were contributing that, factors for sure. Well, I think the reason that that happened was because of the abuse. Absolutely, you know, you, uh, you lashed out because you didn't have the tools on how to do it, you know, to do anything about that. You, you don't know, know any I better. Saw, uh, 
the stuff that I saw with my mom doing when I was growing up and that she did to me and my sister and my dad and other people. You know, you don't, you, a child cannot process or cope with that. So something has to give. That's what happened. You know, I'm not a violent person. I've never touched anybody except that, that. You know, to this day, I'm still trying to come to terms with that. I, I just, and I've talked about it at a, at a, at a couple of conferences and uh, certainly on, online and things like that. But I just want people to understand that, you know, if you're a parent, it is a parent's job to make sure that you raise someone to be a decent human being, that you provide a moral compass, that you give a, a place of safety to that child. And when you don't, you know, bad things can happen. Hell, I guess I'm through talking about that. Sorry about that, guys. <laughs> don't don't apologize, buddy. I mean, I'm always in awe of your vulnerability and willingness to share the hard stuff. I mean, you know, I, I had a pretty rough childhood myself, very different, but similar in a lot of ways too. And we relate to that off the podcast. I don't think I could ever be as open publicly about what I went through as you have been. I also couldn't be as open publicly about like the mistakes I've made in my life like you have been. And I really admire that. And I th I hope it's helpful. Like this is not, you know, the, the typical stuff that we discuss on our podcast, but I think it's really helpful for people also to understand that, you know, there's a lot, the world isn't black and white. There's reasons why people do things, you know, and it doesn't make them a bad person. It makes their choices bad. But usually there's a reason for that. And a lot of times it does have to do with upbringing. And you're not a person to, to blame everything that you've done on your upbringing. And that's not what you're doing. But it's giving a reason. It's giving an explanation. And I think that by you being extremely open and honest about these big, heavy mistakes that you made, especially that one, I think that this is your therapy. I've told you that several times. I think that you speaking about your past is your therapy. I, I hope that, you know, you also pursue other therapy as well. I know it's been extremely helpful for me um, <laughs> in my life, but then that's not to say that I don't think that, you know, that I don't want you to be, you know, talking about publicly. It's just more like I, I want that for you because I think, right, right. you know, I'm not qualified to to do anything other than listen and, and tell you, you know, how much I care. And I think there are other people that are qualified to, you know, give some actual practical advice. But I do think that one of the biggest things for healing is being open and honest with yourself about what you've gone through and, and also giving yourself some grace and realizing that like, yeah, I made a lot of shitty mistakes, but at the same time, I wasn't set up for success. I mean, I have heard probably one tenth of about your childhood that there is, I think I've probably heard more than most people, but, and it was horrific. And you are lucky to be alive. You are lucky to not be in prison anymore. Like you, we don't choose who we're born to. We're not, so we don't choose what we're born into. And we don't have free will until we're old enough to process things. We don't have our prefrontal cortex really until we're 25, which thank God for my therapist sharing that with me when I was guilt tripping myself about mistakes I made before I was 25. I was like, oh, phew, I can blame my brain. No, but it did help me like give myself a little bit of grace and going, I didn't have 
everything I needed to make the right decisions until I was 25. That's nature. There's a balance, right, of accepting responsibility for the mistakes that we've made and the choices that we've made and you're doing that, but also acknowledging that there are contributing factors to that. And I think that that's what you're doing. And if anyone does listen to that podcast, you know, you'll hear those stories then too. And what really made me upset is you were so vulnerable in sharing those stories. And I mean, I just can't even imagine the guts and bravery that it took to share that with a major publication. And their response was to question it and to question your motives as to why you shared that. To me, I saw it as you were like, hey, you're a big publication. You can probably find stuff out. I want to be super honest with you up front about mistakes I've made. Don't make me a perfect angel. Like that's what I think your motivation was in sharing that Uh, because I know you. what what happened was is you know about I guess I guess about six months ago I went to because um, I I think I told you I've been having all these people that that have reconnected with me you know people I've not seen in about thirty years. Oh. The first was a cousin of mine. Her name's Frances. Well, Frances knew this woman, this English teacher that I used to have. Her name's Carol Combs, and I met Carol when I went to uh, I transferred high schools when I was a junior in high school, and uh, she was the first decent, I mean, decent human being that I'd ever met. I was, uh, you know, I was 16, 17 years old. First decent person I'd ever met in my wow. life. Wow. Let that and, sink in, guys. Uh, like, that's crazy. Yeah. But I mean, I I believe uh, it based on the people that you were around up until 16. Yeah, and, uh, I mean, we'll say aside from Denise, of course, I think you yeah, mean like decent yeah, adult. Yeah, yeah, Denise was great. Yes. But uh, Carol took me under her wing. I excelled under Carol. I was head of the uh, the academic team, the mock trial team, that um uh, the theater department, all this other stuff. I was great when I was with her. Then uh, once I graduated high school, I I went back to my old ways. What happens is, is that I reconnect with Carol about six months ago. And uh, Carol sent me a message. I hadn't really been back to Eastern Kentucky or anything like that. Carol sent me a message of, you know, I'd like to, I'd like to, if you ever make it this way, I'd like to see you. Well, hell, I, I took that as you know what? I want to go up there as soon as possible. So I went up there and I, I met with her and uh, we were sitting talking one night and she, uh, what happened was, is when I, um, I met Carol, of course, after that thing happened, when I, when I beat that woman up, the reason I ended up at that high school, we had moved from one County to the next, the, uh, the first school I went to in the new County, I was, uh, I was met outside by the children at the high school, the other high schoolers was not allowed to to go to that school. They told me I, I couldn't go there. So then uh, my mom, my sister, and me drove to the next school, and the principal told uh, told my mom that my sister could go there, but I could not. This was because of your mistakes that you had made with yeah. and yeah. then in Juvia? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And then uh, I told my mom from there, there, there was this, uh, there was a school on the outskirts of the Tech County, and I told her, you know, just take me there. You know, nobody knows who I am. Just take me there. So I went there and I excelled. I mean, I was one of the uh, top students in the state and everything else. I, ex- I excelled there. And uh, Carol and I were talking about it. Well, I didn't know until she told me that, you know, when I walked in, they knew who I was. Mm. But, uh, but they, I, they they welcomed me in there. You wow. know? And uh, she told me that she wished that she hadn't, hadn't kept that hidden from me, that I didn't deserve to. Uh, that you needed to feel what grace was. I think that's well, what she was trying to say, right? You needed, and, uh, maybe it would have been good for you to know, hey, we know you messed up, but we're accepting you anyway. Yeah. So, so we were talking about that. And, and that's when I tell her this thing that, you know, when I was 10, I'd never mentioned that to anybody, to anyone. Oh, God, no. 
you know, about me, uh, about me, uh, urinating when I was a right. small child and mentioned that to her. And that, that kind of opened the door up for me to, uh, start talking about not just that, but all the abuse all the way through when I was a child. So that's, uh, it, that that one that one thing kind of opened the door up for that. So, so so since that point, I'd been you know writing about it. I've been trying to talk to my mom about it. I've been talking to my sister about it, and and the the friends that I had here in town in in Alabama. You know, I didn't have any real conferences during December and January. So mm-hmm. at, at the end of that, I was like, you know, I, I'm gonna because I'd always promised myself I'm going to make sure that when I'm on stage, I tell the truth, and I always try to find something new about myself. So I'd always promise myself, I'm you know what. I'm going to do that. And uh, for me this year, that was talking about, you know, getting up there and actually vocalizing that, trying to think through it, trying to have that therapy on stage, you know? So that's when um, Slate was interviewing and I was talking to them. I was like, you know what? Why not? Just get it out, Johnson. Talk to somebody, get it out. And that's what happened. I mean, it was, uh, it had nothing to do with, with who it was. I had, uh, mm-hmm. I had mentioned it to, uh, I'd actually done a couple of podcasts prior to that. Uh, one of them was with uh, Tavia Gilbert, where I had uh, I had mentioned some stuff like that and everything else. So it was it was all coming up like that, uh, and they just happened to be the the right person at the right time for hmm. me to say that. But I had been talking about it in conferences before that and everything else. Right? Yeah, and I think you had told me as well um, before yeah. that too. I think trauma is a funny thing. We lock it away for a really long time, um, and our brains have the ability to stuff it and not deal with it, not think about it and as if it didn't happen. And then one thing triggers or opens that door and it can be a floodgate and it can make it be all that you think about or, you know, and also it's a lot of fresh things that you have to process, right? Um, And on your journey of growing as a person, that's where you are right now is processing it. And part of processing it is sharing that and talking about it and and really coming to terms with it. I've got all kinds of stuff going on in my head right now. You know, I've got, I, I, I think through that all the time, but I, you know, I think through, you know, the, the overall arc of abuse and, you know, I'm adamant about that. You know, it was, it was your job as a parent, as a parent, as, as both parents, it was your job yeah. to, uh, to set that compass, to, to tell us right from wrong, to, uh, to provide an, an environment where we're safe. They failed you. Know, when you. That Jeez. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I I can relate. <laughs> it's hard, and yeah, it you, you yeah. can relate. Right. And you know, I, I wrote that. In some ways, I mean, to be fair, like I don't ever want to take away from your story because it's it's more. There's a lot more there. You endured a lot more than I had to, but there's still hard stuff. But I still definitely had trauma. Well, you know, I, the thing about yeah. it is, Carice, is you know, I wrote that I wrote that blog. Uh, I don't know three three or four weeks ago or whatever mm-hmm. about your mom. Um, yeah, yeah, I wrote that, and uh, I've not spoken to my mom since that point. But yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, had all these people that uh, that that read that, and they 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 started messaging me. Oh, and good. But I I would have never thought that had went through you know abuse mm. as a child as well. We're talking about how they were abused, how they could identify with that, and I'm like, geez, man, good God, what the hell's going on with people in this world? You know, I and I had yeah. I you know. If you, if you keep it hidden, and that's one of the things too, is, you know, talking about this, I start to understand the damage 
that's done to victims as well. Because, you know, why, why don't victims complain to law enforcement? I'll tell you why, because they're embarrassed. They blame themselves. And until you, until you, you know, with me, I'm, I'm talking about the abuse and everything. I understand. I, I understand that because the reason I didn't talk about that was because embarrassed, blame myself, thought it was my fault. Yeah. Everything else. There's the a lot of thing. shame associated with Absolutely. being an abuse victim for sure. So, you know, it, it's, it's not just abuse victims. It's, it's, it's victims in general when they, uh, yeah. they try to keep that hidden. And I'm going to tell you guys right now, anybody that's out there that's like that, best thing in the world, the best thing in the world is to get it out. You know, it, it may not feel very good getting it out, but my God, I'm going to tell you, that is the best thing in the world. You'll, uh, you'll, it, it's like a weight lifted. And I mean, it's not a great feeling by any stretch of the imagination, but it's, it's like a weight's lifted off of you. And you, and you know that it's, I guess it's that feeling of closure. You know, you, 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 you feel like, like something's been completed just by getting it out, by vocalizing it. Well, I think it's getting rid of shame. Shame is just such a powerful emotion yeah. and it, it restricts us so much. Um, and I think that once you open the door and bring sunlight into your pain, that releases the shame as well. And I think that's, you know, that's what's freeing, right? I've done it in my own ways and and I've been very, you know, open with you. Uh, you have, you have. In, in private about my own stuff. And right. so, you know, fortunately... Fortunately, my personal history is not applicable to my career. And I'm very, very grateful for that. Because as I say many times, I would have a harder time being more open about that. But I really, that's also a big reason why I admire you for your honesty. And there is no shame in what, you know, those are the choices that your parents made, that your mom made that. And I strongly believe that there is undiagnosed mental mental illness there that doesn't excuse behavior. Oh, but I agree with you. <laughs> I mean, if, if there's not, there's something seriously you know, wrong. I, I, I mean, uh, <laughs> funniest thing, man, I was talking to my, my second cousin, her name's Susan, Susan Napier. I hadn't seen her in, in over 30 years. I was visiting with this teacher and Carol calls her and, and her husband, Robert. I hadn't seen Robert. I was a really good friends with Robert going through high school. He, uh, help with the academic team with theater and all this other thing, all these other things they come to visit. And, and I mean, broke my heart just to see him after that many years and everything we were talking and, you know, I was telling her, you know, all these, all this stuff and everything. And she made that comment of, well, you were raised to be this criminal. And I, you know, I hadn't really realized that until she said that, but, uh, you know, I, it was like this, I, that model, that whole idea of modeling. Absolutely. That, that works like a charm. Because that's exactly what was done for me growing up was, you know, I had somebody that was modeling this behavior over and over again until, you know, you, you, you adopt that. I chose to adopt it, but I still adopted it. And I was telling her some of the things that my mom had done to uh, like her great granddad, her great granddad dies. And my mom, and not only my mom, but my grandmother, who was a third grade teacher. This is the same grandmother who goes on, who becomes part of this shoplifting. The shoplifting, right. right. Third grade teacher. Model third citizen. Grade teacher. So, you know, they would uh, load up and, and my, my great-grandfather, uh, John Harlan, he had died. Well, he lived up in the head of a hollow, nobody around there or anything else. And he had a lot of expensive antiques and everything. They'd just go up there with a truck one, you know, during the day sometimes, get a load of antiques, take it over across the state line to Norton, Virginia, and sell it to some antiques dealers. 
you know, that was the type of thing that was going on. And it was, it was always, it was always, There's always a scam, always an angle. Always, always. Right. And environment has a lot to do with how we, you know, grow up. It, they, when you learn I, a long time ago, I, my first major in college was education. And one of the classes you have to take is, you know, psychology and all that. And sure. they talk a lot about nurture versus nature. And I think that in your case, you had both nurture and nature setting you up <laughs> to be a criminal. I mean, that was absolutely, I think your cousin was really onto something. And the fact that you were able to break free of all that, even if it was later on in life, I think is still a victory. You know, I mean, one of the one of the things that I started thinking about through this whole process with Slate, because it was a couple of weeks that we were, you know, both in touch with them and stuff. And sure. What I came to think about was just like this obsession and fascination with con men and, and people that like a cultural fascination, right? right? Whether it's Serial or Dirty John or, you know, all these true crime podcasts and all this stuff, like people get really into it and they love the story. But how about in your personal life? Do you give a second chance to somebody who's made a mistake or do you brand yeah. them as yeah. the mistake? Do you believe in second chances or do you believe that once you make a mistake? Because we've all broken the law in some way, whether it's run a red light or, you know, whatever it is, right? Like there's a cut the tag off your mattress, like whatever, you know, it could be little, it could be big. Do you want to be labeled as your mistake or do you want to be labeled as a person who hopefully learns from their mistakes or has the opportunity to learn from the their mistakes? And I think there's like a huge disconnect between our fascination and obsession with learning about these people and their cons and what they do and all this stuff. And in real life, understanding and accepting that people change and that we're all on a journey and you can't always label people as their mistakes because there might be extenuating circumstances. And I, you know, I know that this is a little bit of a left turn um, from our typical podcasts and not at all what was on the outline. (laughs) (laughs) But that's okay. I mean, I think that that's right. I I mean, I'm glad people get to see this side of you because not everyone does. And we, we've made the choice to not make this podcast, you know, entirely about, um, about your past because you have other things. I mean, I know I keep alluding to it, but you do have other things in the works that right, are pretty right. exciting that will be a lot more in detail. But I think that this was needed. I'm well, big on that. I think you're right. I think you're yeah. right. I mean, it, I mean uh, you're... maybe not for our listeners, for you. And maybe that's and, what matters. I'll tell you, it's, uh, <laughs> with me, it's, uh, I'm told by a lot of people, a lot of people tell me, uh, you know, how happy they are, how proud they are of me of turning things around. Because uh, it's not easy, Brett. It wasn't easy. The easy path would have been well, to go back to what you knew. I'm going to tell That's you why. With me, it's not. The only thing it seems to me is that uh, it was just a waste. It was just a waste. If I'd made better decisions, I wouldn't have wasted those 40-some years getting to the point of being a, uh, a legal person. It just seems to me that, that, that the only thing that is, is just it kind of just frames us this wasted life that I've had up until recently. So I don't, I'm not sure that I'm, you know, I understand when people say that they're proud of me and everything, but geez, it took me 40 some years to get there, man. 40 some years. Well, that's okay. I mean, that's nothing to be ashamed of, right? I think what's <laughs> most important is that it happened. Yeah. Um, you, you didn't start at the same starting line that I did or that other people did. You started a lot farther back and that's okay because now you're here and you're, you know, you're with all of us now, you know, you're at the same point now. You just had a lot more hurdles to go over. Um, You know, (laughs) I I have to give myself some great stuff out too. (laughs) What? So a lot of hurdles. I like the Jesse Owens of fraud. 
<laughs> right. The Lolo Jones of, yeah, yeah there you of go. going over the hurdles. <laughs> Sorry, I've been watching really bad reality TV while I've been sick. She was on Big Brother Celebrity. You know, that's, oh, that was the geez. first I watched that Big Brother over hurdles. <laughs> oh, it's yeah. See, now I've revealed something embarrassing about myself. Too. That's all right. That's all not right. at all on par with what you revealed. But <laughs> Grace likes bad reality shows. Well, my friend, we have not at all talked about the topics that we are going to talk about on the outline, and that's okay because we have you know podcasts for for weeks. And we, <laughs> you know, we we'll keep doing them. I did want to announce something. Oh, gosh, this feels really like insensitive given the heavy stuff that we've talked about we should probably wait until the next one to announce it you think okay let's do that okay then let's then let's cut i'm like you're right that that does you know i was just realizing i was like if i announce the 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 contest that's really a mood shifter isn't it okay let's just okay let's just scrap all that out and i'm just gonna go back to well my friend and then we'll just yeah good call All right, you just want me to go well, my friend. What? Oh, sorry. Yeah. So, no, that's okay. So, well, my friend, this was not at all what we were going to talk about on the outline, but I think that's okay. I hope that we will talk about those topics on the next podcast. The thing about fraud is that it's always happening. Good job security for those of us that are out there fighting it, but also good lots of topics for us to discuss. So, I just want to end on saying. I hope that people can tell that you're genuine and everything that you really are like working towards, you're working through a lot, but you're also working towards being a better person and continuing on this path and continuing to make the right decisions day after day. And I'm, I'm lucky to be a part of that journey and to know you through that. And I think our listeners are too. I appreciate that. And I really do. And uh, oh, I don't know what to say that I've not already said. <laughs> so, uh, I guess, I guess that means we should probably end it and we will uh, talk a lot more about fraud in the next time. <laughs> all right. Well, that's it for episode today. And uh, really, thank you all for joining us. We We hope you've learned a lot. I'm sure that this is not what you intended to hear this week, but it is what it is. So uh, thank you for listening to it. And let me assure you, we've got a lot of topics to cover to help you protect your company from fraud. So please subscribe to Online Fraudcast to be alerted to when a new episode is out. Please tell your friends, rate and review wherever you can to help others find out about these topics as well. And we want to hear from you guys. So far, what we what you love about the podcast, feel free to send Brett a hug emoji this week. Um, <laughs> let him know you're, or a poo you know, emoji. you're on a Either one's fine. <laughs> <laughs> Careful what you ask for. But we do love hearing from you guys a lot. I know I'm personally extremely backed up on my LinkedIn, but please know that I still love reading them and will get back to all of them as soon as I possibly can. We want to know what topics you want to hear us discuss. You can find Online Frogcast on Facebook, on our website, www.onlinefrogcast.com or find us individually on LinkedIn. Until next time, stay informed, stay vigilant, and stay secure.